We're not the Nick the almost the last sermon. This is the second to the last sermon. Next week I'll try to preach on a dollar tree. But uh this this morning we're talking about in the book of Isaiah, the fortieth chapter through the first through the thirty first verse there is the scriptural text. And the other text is Daniel the second chapter first and the 49th verse that should give us a little bit more clarity to what he's trying to get us to see in this 40th chapter of Isaiah because starting with the 40th chapter of Isaiah it changes the, the turn, all the things change and it's more or less a, a, a leap and it's looking at the church and it tells us a great deal there in the 40th chapter he starts off with comfort ye comfort ye my people the prophet goes into that discourse but it's to the people that's in captivity in Babylon and gives us give them a silver lining uh, gives them hope while they are there hopefully we could make an application to our lives in this day and age because that's what the scriptures are for the Old Testament was written for our admonition. And we have to make it work that we see the stories and the history and all this that's in the Old Testament, which is true knowledge, the, the, found, the form a foundation of what we're learning in the New Testament. Because with the Old Testament, without the Old Testament, we can't understand new. The prophets being part of that foundation but Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And on that chief cornerstone, the whole church is built. The lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world is which the church was built upon. And as by being built upon him and leaning unto him and looking unto him, that's where we get our example from. It's not built on any man. But it's built on him, and our reading scripture came from Micah, the fifth chapter in the second verse. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. We know that that's the word of God, that that's Jesus Christ who was with God in the beginning. And it was a promised seed unto the woman. And that's what I say. We have to see the significance in the Old Testament. That which may seem insignificant becomes very significant. Bethlehem was a very small city there. It was the smallest of all of the cities of Judah. And so when he was talking to Herod about destroying all of the children, he told them to go there and kill all of the children that would have been in that age range in which the wise men didn't return unto him. God had told the wise men not to return unto him and that that he went away. They went a different way. And then when Herod found out this had happened, he sent the people to slay all of the youth that would have been in that age range that was in Bethlehem. And it's a scripture saying that Rachel crying for her children or whatever, and they wouldn't be comforted or whatever. 
we're not talking about a great number of children. Uh, it may be a smaller, insignificant number there because just like the killing at Uvalde, Texas, uh, that which was in Connecticut, uh, Sandy Hook or whatever, 20 children is a whole lot of children. It's a mass murder whatever. Probably wasn't that many slain during that time that Herod had sent because, like I say, Bethlehem was such a small city or whatever, and those that was in the age range of Jesus might have been only 10 children or so or whatever. But numbers sometimes can be deceptive. And let me read the nucleus of the scripture text this morning coming from Daniel, the second chapter of Daniel. I'm going to read only the first through the ninth verse maybe. But the the whole chapter, if you study it, you'll get more context out of it. It says, O king, you saw a huge and powerful statue of a man shining brilliantly and frightening and terrible. The head of the statue was made of purest gold. Its chest and arms were of silver, its belly and thighs of brass, its legs of iron, its feet part iron and part clay. But as you watched, a rock was cut from the mountainside by natural means. It came hurling toward the statue and crushed the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. Then the whole statue collapsed into a heap of iron, clay, brass, silver, and gold. Its pieces were crushed as small as chaff, and wind blew them all away. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. Now, this rock that came forth out of there, it wasn't hewed with hands, it says. It wasn't hewn out with hands, and it's talking about Jesus Christ. He's that rock. And that's the 40th chapter that gave you some, I tried to give you a picture of the magnitude of God, of the concept of God, and the being Jesus Christ. Uh, But it said he was made as a man, and so we have to look at that power condensed into Jesus Christ, in which the whole Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead was in him. But with all of that power, with all that strength and vastness, we fail or we pale in comparison of insignificance to him. We, you remember we've been studying, we asked dust and but a worm or whatever. But in that insignificance, God works in that insignificant, just like he worked in his son, that insignificance in which the world saw him, that he was an insignificant figure and when he died there as they was talking about in Daniel probably wasn't very many around the cross when he was dying we know it was only 120 in the upper room and we know when the Roman soldiers came for him they fled his disciples fled and Peter denied he ever knew him so it was kind of a lonely track to the cross you know that journey to the cross being betrayed being uh left behind uh, some of the disciples. I think Mark was there and Peter was there, but Peter denied he even knew him. So the first point we're going to talk about is weak and insignificant. 
That's why the Jews doesn't, don't accept Jesus Christ because he came as a suffering servant. And as us in Babylon today, as we live in this world system, suffering's not part of what we want. Suffering's not part of the deal, but uh, us that are in Christ Jesus, we know there'll be suffering and affliction. There may be some light momentary relief from it, but we're going to have to learn to endure suffering. But the world doesn't want suffering, and they don't want to be insignificant. That's why the Internet and all these things appeal to them. It gives them a stage, you know, to be seen on, for the world to see them on. Countless numbers of people have their profile and their children everything on Facebook and making YouTube videos and TikTok and all sorts of social media. And that's the reason a lot of things happen unto them because their lives are open book to people that don't even know them because they're trying to gain some sort of popularity or some sort of significance. And we only have significance in God. When we lose our life, when we lose trying to be somebody in this life, if we die to self and stop trying to save ourselves and be somebody great, that's what Herod did. He was trying to make himself somebody great, somebody to be worshipped. And that's why I said next week we'll talk about idolatry because let alone man wanting to worship something, there are those that want to be worshipped making themselves idols and the weaker ones being worshipers of idol trusting in man. God's choices are not like our choices and we make a lot of wrong choices and we make things and deliberate because we're shaping in iniquity. This world has shaped our thought patterns, our ways and that's what we have to die to. That's a reckoning. And that's where God can work with us there. That's where He can change vices into virtues. 1 Corinthians 27 through 29, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, 27, verse to the 29th verse says, But God has selected for His purpose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, revealing their very ignorance. And God has selected for his purpose the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, revealing their frailty. God has selected for his purpose the insignificant, the base things of the world, and things that are despised and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, so that he might reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one may be able to boast in the presence of God. God doesn't choose those many mighty, the wise and the intellectuals. It was a ragtag bunch of fishermen that he chose to be his twelve disciples. It was prophets that was despised and rejected and they were looking for a pastor that had custom tailored suits and flying planes and all kinds of popularity. And they says, would you look for a prophet? He was talking about John and John went around with camel skins, wrapped in camel skins. And he says, those that you're looking for that are in palaces and everything, those weren't the real prophets. The true prophets was like John that went around with the bare necessities of life, eating locusts and wild honey because 
He wasn't comfortable with this life. He didn't try to rub shoulders with the hobnob, the highfalutin, the nobility of this life. He had a message that he was born to deliver, and that light so shine that Jesus says there were none born among women from women that are greater than John. That's how great John was. So to put that in perspective with us, our significance would be that if none of us were greater than John working in the natural, because like I said, John was born with full of the Holy Ghost. So what happened with John, though, it says he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So our insignificant comes when we're born again, when the new birth comes, when we do that as he told Nicodemus that you know you must need to be born again. Are we seeking the new birth? Do we have that new birth? Are we born again to learn to make the right choices just like Samson would pick up a jawbone of an ass and kill 3,000 Philistines? It would be like the widow who didn't have any flour and didn't have any meal and didn't have any wherewith to live by. And she said she was about to cook her last meal and go in and die. But the prophet says, by God, give to me, feed me first. That's the kind of faith he's looking for. The ones that would give their last, it's it's insignificant amount that we have. It was just a little bit, just enough to provide for them. But she shared that with the man of God. And God says in his word, he that give it a prophet, a glass of water and a prophet's name shall indeed receive their reward. So are we a giving and a blessing people? I, one experience that happened a few weeks ago, one of our members learned about blessing and giving, and that has infected their lives. You know, we have other people that come along and infects us. It permeates our lives. It, in other words, it goes through our lives. It seeks in. It dies. It, it colors our lives and changes our lives. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It permeates the life. That's a permeation of the life. And that's what in the book of Daniel there, that stone, that man that was born, the wonderful counselor, that little bit of seed that came from the woman, he came in. That man came in and he smote the image, which which was the world. He smote it on his feet, those ten toes that wasn't mixed. It wasn't thoroughly mixed or blended in. The world is not together. The United States is not together. A lot of our homes are not together. And he says, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He's going to tear down whatever that is that you're holding on to. He says, if the foundations be shaken, you will be tested and tried. And that rock, it comes in. It's like that little woman that had take that one measure of fine leaven and put it in the dough. And it permeates the dough. To the whole amount of that dough became leavened. In other words, it's sinked in, it's saturated. But if you know about dough and making bread or whatever, you have to knead that dough now. You have to get it thoroughly kneaded in, thoroughly and throughout every portion of it. And that's what the Word of God does. It goes into our body, and if we let that Word have an effect on us, that Spirit is effectually working in us. That light, that little light that he gives you that comes and lighted us. 
that lighted, we should light the whole world. Once that word is received, the seed, the, that word of faith, what that you hear by preaching, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Once that seed of faith is planted in you, if you nourish that seed, you cherish it. You cherish it like a man would do a plant, a very tiny mustard seed. It's, if it's sown on good ground, you're watering it. You're watering it with prayer. You're watering it with Bible study. You're watering with actual doing of good works. It, it's on its way to growing just like that rock that smoked the image. But it grows out of time. See, the kingdom of heaven doesn't come by sight. You just can't see it coming. It comes by measure. God's answering those prayers that thy will be done. His will is being done here on earth. His will is being done. The kingdom is coming, but the kingdom doesn't come the way we think it's coming. But if we're children of God, it lights a path, becomes a lamp unto our feet to where we begin to see God working because that light is shining in our lives. He's going that little bit that we have, you can start increasing that little bit that you have. You might buy your reader or something and start being able to study and read the Word of God. Instead of God has deliberately chosen to use ideals, the world considers foolish and of little worth in order to shame those people by the world as wise and great. To confound those people, when those that think they're something, that think they're significant, he uses the small things, the illiterate, to confound some of those. Not not many wise, he says. Now, I'm not saying be illiterate. I'm saying those that are not scholars or intellectuals, those that were like Peter, whereas Paul was different, but he says not many. So he does choose some. He does choose some. Philippians 2, 5, and 11. It's a spiritual transformation that makes you significant. That's what makes you somebody. That's what starts to make you somebody. It says, let that same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, that was part of God's will, the death of the cross. That's why he says, to be like Christ, we must humble ourselves. Take up our cross and follow after him. That cross is a lot of denial. That cross is a lot of suffering. It's death to self. That cross, if you're following him, that burden is upon him. His yoke is easy, though. In other words, he gives you a light to walk down that narrow path because it is a broad way to destruction. And there be many that came along in trying to preach the word and teach the word or cause you to error. That's why we must study to show ourselves approved. And that's why we can't forsake the assembling together of ourselves because he had given us pastors and teachers. He had given us people in the church to instruct us in the Word of God, to give us instruction. Wherefore God had highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name, that every, at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. In other words, that little seed that came that was placed in the woman, you remember that the son was given, that wasn't a part of man's nature, it was the seed of the woman, it was the promised word of God that came into the world. It started off that small, it was inside of the woman. And, it, and he's telling us to have that same mind that was in Jesus Christ. Now, there's a, a circumcision, there's a work that coming about that he gives us a heart, a mind like him, that he performs this supernatural thing, that supernatural stone that was cut off, and he births us again. That's why I said we must be born again, yes. that mind that was in Christ. God had chosen a plan that was despised by the world. Even Jesus came to the point of death and he says, Father, it be any other way. He says, but nevertheless, thy will be done. He had to go the way of the cross. A lot of us don't want to die to the world. We, we, right in the back of our mind, that carnality, no matter how you kill it or try to mortify the deeds of the body, it's always trying to wake up and say, be somebody. Make excuses change things, do these things. But you have to say, nevertheless, thy will be done. You have to kill that voice. That little voice sometimes that's telling you to fight back, to be something. He says, when I attempt to do good, evil was right there in me. You find that it's in the members of your body. It's a struggle, even our thought life. So I say I have to bring every thought into the captivity and obedience of Jesus Christ. We have to watch what we sing and do every little idle word. And we have to give account for every idle word. We have to start thinking before we say things. We have to start thinking and the thoughts that we think have to be pure and lovely. It has to be according to the word of God. Now, he had chosen a plan that was despised by the world, as I said, and counted as nothing at all. And he used it to bring down to nothing those the world considers great, so that no one anywhere can ever brag in the presence of God. And I tell you, it was by the determinate wisdom of God that this man, when handed over to the Romans' authorities, according to the predeterminate decision and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross and put to death by the hands of lawless and godly men. You don't want to be part of that crowd. If you're there, you want to be the one that he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, that you've been working in ignorance. And you have to come to a point in time that Christ wake you up and you acknowledge that, that, that ignorance and that you have been wrong and you, you've been going the wrong way. It's like the prodigal son. He says, I'll go back and I'll tell my father that I'm wrong. I, I would be just a servant. Are we willing to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Because if we're willing to be a servant of Jesus Christ and deny ourselves, we have to come back. And to some people, we have to say, I'm sorry. We have to say we are wrong. We have to take the consequences of our actions and start living like Christ. Now, it might cause us to be shamed in the face of the world. It might cause suffering in the face of the world. But all that's part of becoming 
humble. You're not trying to make a reputation for yourself. You don't need people to brag on you and people uh, acquaintance and things that are not in church. That's sitting in the counsel of the ungodly. When you have people that don't go to church, don't follow God, sitting at your house all day or talking to you all the time, you have to be strong enough to get them from away from around you that that a fear coming around you. I went the other day, I brought my brother home uh, Saturday before last or one Saturday. It must have been Saturday before last or whatever. And this young man was there that I told you that, you know, I've had some, I don't like his style of life or way of life or whatever. But I don't know if it was fear or what he said, but he says, Happy Father's Day or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know, I said, Hey, Father's Day, is it? You know, whatever. But he was just, I guess, finding something to say or whatever. And each time I come around, he make himself scarce or whatever. That's good. That's the way you want the world. You want the world to see God in you and not so flippant uh, uh, be able to relax. If if the wicked can come in your counsel and relax, if the wicked are not talking behind your back when you leave, maybe something is wrong. Sometimes my son look at me and say, well, Daddy, you know they're going to say this, you know that's going to happen. I, I know it. But Jesus says, blessed are you when people say all manner of things against you because I'm going around trying to do good. I'm not worried about what somebody say. I'm not worried about other things. What I'm worried about is I'm pleasing God. Am I letting my light so shine that men see my light? Even the children has that children's song, and they sing it, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Are you hiding that light? Because it's not going to get any brighter. The more you hide it, the dimmer it'll get, the duller you'll get of hearing because something is clogging up that light. The book of Matthew, the 12th, the 21st chapter in the 42nd verse says, Jesus asked him and says, have you never read in the scriptures? Isaiah said that, but Jesus was quoting it in the New Testament. And like I said, in the New Testament, you'll find countless numbers of quotes of the Old Testament. Jesus told them, he says, have you never read in the scriptures? The very stone which the builders rejected and threw away has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous and wonderful in our eyes. You can find that in the book of Psalms also. That which the world rejected. Do people reject you? Do your word really count to a lot of people? Do they seek wisdom at your mouth? Do they seek a understanding? Are they seeking your counsel and advice? Or do you seem to think that or see people kind of despising you? They treat you with contempt. They reject you. Let's not feel too bad about that. If they rejected him, they'll reject you. That stone, that chief cornerstone, when they got through building their building and they looked at the building and they said, well, this is not going to stand. Where's that cornerstone? That is over here. That's the one you rejected. That's what Peter was telling them on that day. He says, by the determinate counsel of God, this man Jesus whom you took and hung on a cross, whom you crucified, God had made him both Lord and Savior. He's our God. This is the one that the world didn't want. You chose Herod. You chose Pilate. You said we have no king other than Caesar. You chose the things of the world. Are we choosing the things of the world 
are we choosing to walk in the way of God? It, it, it starts literal. You remember I tell you that which is, is, is insignificant. So each and every one of us started the same way Jesus Christ started. Look in the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, second through the third verse, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He had no form, no comeliness, and when he we see him, we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is the Christ. This is how they treated him. He warns us if they do it to the dry tree, they'll do it to the green tree. As we get in the church, as that seed is sowing, there are those that's going to come along, the birds of the air. In other words, men with other gospels, with other teachings and everything. And that's what we were talking about Wednesday nights. Oh, yes, I've heard of that preach. I used to listen to him a good bet. But it says you can't deceive the very elect. He's a very wise preacher. He's a very knowledgeable preacher. He's, he sounds good. He sounds preaching, and he preaches good. And in the time, a lot of people from that Baptist background, a lot of people who hadn't been converted, they're drawn to that because it's, it's a feel-good message. And then it has content. He preaches to two different churches. They were talking about building a large new churches, a new church. But the problem was, the church that originally got him, it brought him for, if I say the city, then you'll know the preacher I'm talking about. But he was absolutely enthused when he was talking about the church they brought him from. And they brought him to this magnificent church. But see, they had a higher clientele at that church. It's like in the book of James about those that were rich and wealthy that he was speaking to. All of the professors from Southern and, and all of the high-ups, all of the people with doctrines and everything. He was in a category where right down the street, there's a much larger church with a much larger clientele. See, but the problem, they say, is when the miry clay didn't mix or whatever, a congregation that he pastors in the other part of the city in mid-city, it's, it's the lower class. It's those that that are not converted, but he has to preach to them, and that's what they will help build the church with. It it hadn't come to pass. That was ten or fifteen years ago. The guy was telling me about them building a church. See, the problem is, you got one that you wouldn't be accepted in that church. Now we got another church down here where we would take those those that are with me, or those that are. Uh, uh, of that Lord, but don't go over to this church because you're not elevated up there. You see the division that, that there's no unity there. And I, I was following him because I, I said this is an intellectual seat, but that's why he says they're able to deceive the very elect. A lot of things happen in this life or whatever. I don't know if some of those brought it about or whatever, but like I said, we have to watch those things. The worldly and the wise, that's my second point there the worldly and the wise man has always leaned to his own understanding and devising of which Satan is leading and guiding him into now when 
Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar about this dream he had in the second chapter. That God had made him king of kings. That he was over all of the kings. All of the kingdoms of the world. God had gave to him. And all the birds was going to come and nest under his branch. See, with all of that, he got the big head. He started feeling high-minded after God had... Read that whole second chapter. That God had given him all that. But see, he didn't take note of that little part. And so pride entered in. Listen at this, the third chapter. After God had told him that. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura. And in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to all the princes, governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, and rulers of all the providence of his empire to come to the dedication of his statue. When they had all arrived and were standing before the monument, a herald shouted out, O king of all nations and languages, this is the king's command. He went further than God had told him to go. He was lifting himself up just as Jehu. God used Jehu greatly, but Jehu failed, didn't he? Jehu started to make images. He made idols. You know, we look at a lot of failures down through life. God raised up men that were spectacular in the Bible, as Samson, who ended up blind with his eyes put out, bald-headed, grinding at the mill. But he had lifted Samson up. He had got off the job of destroying the Philistines. He had married the Philistines. We look at David, King David. God says, he sent Nathan the prophet in. He says, David, I've given you all of this, all of the kingdoms. I've given you all of this, and I I would have given you even more. But now you done took this man's wee lamb. You done took this man's wife, and you've slain him with the sword. The sword will never leave from your house, David. That was King David. God hadn't given us no man as the example All men, we see their fallibility. We see where they fall. We see where they get lifted up. Even John the Baptist, he was kind of destroyed in prison. Things wasn't going according to his flesh the way he thought it was. And you, You see that. You remember I told you that little demon of doubt lies within all of us? He sent his disciples and asked Jesus. He says, are you the one or should we be looking for another? I'm not out of jail yet. All these things going on around me and I hear them up there partying and doing all these things and I'm down in the dungeon and I did what the Lord told me to do. It was after then when he sent his disciples that Jesus sit and told his disciples to tell John about what was going on. That the blind see, the lame walk, the gospel, the poor is having the gospel preached to them at no charge of all the healing that was going out. He was on a mission himself. He would soon die himself. Like I said, we have to all die maybe. Because there will be those that are here when Jesus Christ... We see him insignificant and that's when we start seeing that in our own eyes. But that in Christ Jesus we are the sons of God. And as the sons of God, he says, he scourges every son that he receives. So chastisement 
is different from judgment and punishment. And that's where Job got confused. Job, God started the chapter off with saying Job was a perfect and upright man. But after talking with his friends and everything, Job began to be defensive and said some things he shouldn't have said. It took him to a ram to where he desired counsel with God and wanted to approach God. And God came to him and said things and told Job to where Job said he covered his mouth and he had said things that he shouldn't have said being rash. All of that was part of God sifting and sending to show us that we are insignificant in our significant lies in Him shaping and forming and making us in His image. Then are we somebody. Man has since exalted himself, making himself vain. That's the wisdom and knowledge of man. 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 1 through the 2nd verse says, Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge concerning this. Knowledge alone makes people self-righteously arrogant, but love that unselfishly seeks the best for others, builds up and encourages others to grow in wisdom. If anyone imagines that he knows and understands anything of a divine matters without love, he is not known as yet what he ought to. In other words, he says here that knowledge puff it up. Sometime we leave the church listening to our friends or whatever because they've heard of this evangelist or this preacher or whatever and they've gone away or gotten away from God. He says we all like sheep have went astray because there's always stepping stones instead of digging down, building our roots where God has us planted. If we would just stay there. That's why he says in the book of Revelation, I know where Satan's seat is, but we need to endure. If God don't tell you to move, I wouldn't move if I was you. I would ask of God about everything I do. I would ask of God everything, every choice that is made, I would include the Lord into it. I would bring God into the clothes that I wear. God, is this appropriate for me to wear? Is this something that I should be doing? Is this a person I should be seen with? Is this a purchase I should make? The book of James, the third chapter in the 15th, 17th verse says, Who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him by his good conduct show his good deeds with the gentleness and humility of true wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, now that's a key phrase that, Selfish ambition, and that's what the churches are preaching into the people. Selfish ambition. Everybody owns a business and want to be a business. Well, if everybody has a business, who's going to be the customers? <clears throat> you know, if everybody has a business, that's where the world is imploding upon itself. Everybody in the church can't be leaders. Everybody in the church can't work for the church. Or who's going to work in the world? What's going to happen for the things? See, we have to find our place in Christ and God has to lead us to that place. God has to lead us there. It says, be not arrogant as a result, be in defiance and be in defiance of the truth. This superficial wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is 
earthly. In other words, it comes from the secular realm. I tell you, this guy that was preaching, there's a many a mega pastors that have a lot of wisdom, but it's secular wisdom. They can grow a church. They know how to grow a church. But God's problem, God's purpose is not growing the church. He plants the seed. He has those that are numbered that he has go have in his church. And with patience, we have to see those seeds grow. But we can't use and devise schemes of men. He says, endure hardness. Preach the word. Preach it in season and out of season. It doesn't profit the church for some movie star to get you into the church. For some singing group to get you in the church. You're not saved by singing. You're saved by the preached word of God. He sent his word. He sent his word to heal us. He sent his word in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, take up your cross and follow after me. He says, blessed are those that hear my words. Blessed are those that preach my word and teach my word. It's all about the word. That's what endures forever. That's why he says he's giving us power now. But let me finish. He says, but earthly, that is secular, natural, unspiritual, even demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exists, there's disorder, unrest, and rebellion, and every evil thing and morally degrading practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, morally and spiritually undefiled. Then peace-loving, courteous, and considerate. But we have a rebellious generation that riot and have a resurrection at the capital that we have judges giving the rapist custody of the child that he fathered through raping and having the woman to pay child support. What kind of society we live in? The second in command at the state police resigned because of his participation in the death of a motorist a few years back. There's so much going on in our nation. There's so much injustice is going on. And that's because of the wisdom of this world. You can get a fancy attorney to get them off. They could afford to have sentences changed. They could buy judges and everything. It says, But the wisdom from above is pure morally and spiritually undefiled, peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, and willing to listen. But we can't get anything done in our legislature. They can't even redraw the district lines where they have a, a, a fluctuation in race because of the census to say, well, this would be the just and right thing to do. But you have divisions with everything. You, you, you get elected by being a rebel or a maverick, going against the time, doing that which is wrong, being seen. We have a problem now. See, because the secular world can't operate the way the spiritual world does. They don't have the power to do it because we have the power of the Spirit. It's not by might. It's not by by power. It's by His Spirit. So we have to fight those things that are in us that are not like that, that we put them to death because this thing is in us and it's dead. It's like I told you, inside of pork, people working with pork or whatever have to wear gloves and everything because 
they have the Chicana worm in pork. That's why God's people probably didn't eat pork in the Old Testament thing because it was unclean. It has that Chicana worm in it. So you can cook meat. And they tell you always cook pork to a high temperature to kill a worm. But isn't the worm still in there though he dead? Maybe it seeds of survival or whatever, but it's different than beef. Some things live on in us, and so sin lives in us, and that's how we put it to death, through submission to Jesus Christ. Resist evil. We have to constantly resist that old nature within us. Let me move on here so I can finish this today. He says, Full of compassion and good fruits, it is unwavering without self-righteous hypocrisy and self-serving guile, and the seed of whose fruits is righteousness, that is, spiritual maturity, is sown in peace by those who make peace by actively encouraging goodwill between individuals. So it's working. We should see that growing in us. We should notice the difference in us because it constantly tells us to examine ourselves. Before each Lord's Supper, we said, let a man examine himself. Are you examining yourself and really looking at yourself and seeing, do you match up? Are you doing God's word? Are you judging yourself? He says, if you would judge yourself, you would not be judged. But some of us are not judging ourselves. We're blinded. That, that's why I say it's, be careful in the church now. Galatians 6, 3-5 says, For if anyone thinks he is something that is special, when in fact he really is nothing special except in his own eyes, he's deceiving himself. He's thinking he's somebody. He deceives himself, but each one of us must carefully scrutinize our own works, examining our actions, our attitudes and behavior then we can have a personal satisfaction and an inner joy of doing something commendable without comparing himself to another. For every person will have to bear with patience his own burden of faults and shortcomings for which he alone is responsible. That's some of your afternoon prayers. Go through your day, and after you go through your day, pray that prayer at the end of the day. Ask God, what have you done? What have you said? Who do you need to apologize to in your prayer? And who do you need to ask God, I'm sorry I answered with hostility toward this person. I'm sorry I looked at this. I'm sorry I did this. And just just go over a reflection. Keep short accounts with God each and every day, just as you pray in the morning, you should be praying through the day. That's why I say cease not to pray. We have to be in contact with God. And you older people who can't work and do this, you should be the power of the church. Prayer is the engine that drives the church. That's what Spurgeon said. If you want to see why the church is so vibrant, why it's so strong, is that I have these older people. A lot of some of the younger people have time, but the older people have time during the day that they're praying for the pastor. They're praying for the needs of one another. That's why you ask, you was quoting that. She says you have not because you ask not. How many of us stand before the church and ask for prayer? How many of us are consistently praying for that which others have asked for until we see that answered in some kind of way? Because that should be part of our testimony that God has answered our prayer. We should have testimonies of God working in our lives because we should be praying for one another and ceasing not to pray. That's one of the ways of growth. The third, the third point, so I can close this thing, 
is the Word, that wonderful counsel. That same Word that was with God from the beginning came down to this earth inside of Mary. He was in that. He says, that which is in Mary of the, is of the Holy Ghost. That seed, it says, the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was the, in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life, listen at this, and the life was the light of men. That light that's in you, that's the light of Jesus Christ. Are you helping that light? Are you working that that light would be more brighter? You don't put it under a candle. You don't put it under a bushel. You can't hide that light. You should so let that light shine that men would see that light. That's when he's going to bring that affliction and suffering and all kinds of things. Don't shy away from that because that's what strengthens you is to go through those things. He says he's made strong in weaknesses. That's where God works at. When you see that you can't handle it, you can't do it, that you need God. I need you every day. I need you every moment. I can't do nothing without you. And I'm praying that you would bring me through this, that that light in me, that word that I'm studying, that's my God. That's the lamp unto my path. I meditate upon your word day and night. That's why I consume it. I shall live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That's what I'm living off. That's the substance. That's the nutrient that I need. That's the necessary food that gets joint, get my joints moving. It gets my arms moving. It gets me to moving. It gets me to say things. Stir up the spirit that's in you. Stir it up. James says, if you lack wisdom to guide you through a decision or circumstance, ask God. God who gives to everyone generously. And without rebuke and blame, it would be given to him. But you must ask in faith, not doubting. You can't be double-minded and thinking this and thinking that. That faith, you can speak to that mountain. Whatever circumstances you're in, you go to God. You ask God to get you through that. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to make this decision. I can't say, well, I know how to do this. I can handle this one, God. No, I can't handle it. I can't do nothing without you. You're my strength. You're my wisdom. That's why I say, let that mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And all this, we, we must have an intimate relationship with Jesus to make sure of our calling, that we're on the right road. Maybe I should be doing something else. Maybe I should be moved this way. Maybe I should do this. To those, First Peter says, and this is a long He says, to those who have received and possessed by God's will a precious faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we all have that same like precious faith. He's given us all of that same faith. That's why he says, contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. So if we're possessors of that, he says, grace and peace that special sense of well-being be multiplied to you in the true intimate knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't you just sit at home sometime, even in pain and affliction or whatever, and you have saying, it's all right. It is well with us. You like Daniel in the lion's den. You like the prisoners when they ask, how are you? He said, it is well with us. It is well. 
because God is our sustainer. We're going to make it. All we have to do is hold on to that little bit. He says, hold on. Hold on. He says, for his divine power has bestowed on us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through truth and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own excellence and glory. So he's given me this, and don't feel sorry for me, that I've, I've run my race. Don't have pity on me. God has been merciful to, to me. So I'm not trying to cling on to on life support or whatever. When my time comes, Paul said he didn't know what was better, to be there with them or to go home to be with Christ. Each and every day, God's been good to me. I, I'm not saying it's been an easy ride. But I'm in for the long ride. I'm in for the long haul. I'm not turning loose because God had planted something in me, that hope that sees that silver lining. I'll get rest one day. He says, For by these He has bestowed on us His precious and magnificent promises of inexpressible value, so that by them you may escape from the immoral freedom that is in the world because of disreputable desire and become sharers of the divine nature. So I'm not holding on because of man. And if man fail, my faith won't fail. I'm holding on to Christ. If man turns, he can't d- disappoint me because I don't put expectation in man. He says, don't trust in man. Those that sometimes you say disappointed you or whatever, I hope that's just a turn of phrase because you didn't expect more than that. I Peter was so distraught to everything that he rejected Christ and he went out sorrowful, but Christ had already told him he was going to do that. You can't let me down if I'm already down there. God picks me up. I stay lowly. God's the one pick me up. If my happiness depending on you coming and going, you're my peace and joy. And Christ is not. I have to have him as my peace and joy because he says, I give you peace and I'll even make your enemies be at peace with you. I'll give you a joy man can't take away from you. Even when you're broke, you'll be joyful. You learn to be content in whatever situation you're in. You got Jesus. He says he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So if you lack in any of these qualities, it's mean you lacking something spiritually. <laughs> Just keep on marching in Peter because I'd go way over with that because see a lot is in Peter, first and second Peter, because Peter was the rambunctious one that always had his foot in his mouth. He reminds me of me. See, but how sweet it is to know Christ. Listen at how Peter built this along. He says, for this very reason, applying your diligence to the divine promises, make every effort in exercising your faith to develop moral excellence and moral insight and moral knowledge and understanding. So you seeking Christ, seeking his word, each time we can have a Bible study, each time I can get into his word, I'm trying to develop myself to be in his image. Something's in me is driving me that I can't let it alone. This is addictive to me. I'm hungering and thirsting. You ever been hungry? You see, a lot of us, if something just sit there, a lot of times my wife said, you was really hungry, huh? Well, I shouldn't eat unless I'm hungry, you know. Some people eat just to be eaten or just a glutton. But if you're hungry, you're going to eat what's put before you. And that word of God 
that's what I desire. I sometimes don't have a, you, you say, TV. I, I turn off the TV, and I don't want to hear that. Uh, I don't want, but I do want to hear God's Word. I do want that. He says, and in your knowledge, get self-control. And in self-control, steadfastness. And in your steadfastness, godliness. And in godliness, brotherly affection. And in brotherly affection, develop Christian love. That is, learn to unselfishly seek the best for others and to do things for their benefits. For as these qualities are yours and are increasing, what he says, are increasing because that's how the fruit increase is being a doer of God's word. Walking in God's word. You could produce the fruit. But not just a hearer, but a doer. He says, for these qualities are yours and are increasing in you as you grow towards spiritual maturity. They will keep you from being useless and unproductive in regard to the true knowledge of and greater understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now whoever lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted closed spiritually in the eyes and having become oblivious of the fact that he was cleansed from his old sin. Christ has cleansed me. Why should I go back and wallow in the dirt? Why should I let you come by here gossiping and backbiting somebody? I thought that they were your friend. How did you get that intimate knowledge that they're telling you? It must have been told you in a confidence. And the Bible says, woe be unto him that betray a confidence. You mean to tell me this person told you their closest thing? That's what's happening with the Trump administration now with the insiders in his inner circle. They're turning on one another. Are we going to turn and bite and devour one another? What's done is done. See, I, I, don't, I don't even feel good calling other preachers' name and telling you all this. Well, you find out for yourself. It's a lot I could say about this person or whatever. But you find out for yourself those things. Now, I might mark those that cause a division. But see, that's from godly jealousy because I don't want to see you going down the wrong trail. That's why parents intervene in, even in their grown children's life. They don't want to see them going down the wrong trail. In conclusion here. He gives us his children light. And that's what we try to give our children, light or instruction. In that same place I was, that he was the light that coming into the world. It says the same came for a witness, John the first chapter. It says the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent here to bear witness of that light. Are we bearing witnesses of that light? Since we know who is that light, where that light comes from, what is that light? He says that that was the true light. That verse again, let me pounce this in. It says that was the true light which lighted every man that cometh into the world. Every man is lighted by Jesus Christ. And you should let that light so shine. Now, if you don't have any knowledge with him and an individual or personal intimacy with him, he says he was in the world and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, not to the others, to those that received him, he gave power to become the sons of God. He gave them power to become sons of God, even to them that believe upon his name. 
Believe upon Him and you'll become somebody. You'll become significant. You'll be a son of God. That's the second man, Adam. You'll be a spiritual man. You'll be made in the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. That which God had started, Jesus Christ said, let us make man in our image. That was Elohim. That was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is making men in His image and His likeness. And He had given, given us power to do that. If we let that light so shine, we can become significant. We can become somebody.